Welcome and happy Friday. It's September 2nd, 2016, and this is Travelogue, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I am here with Meredith Carey, who's our newly appointed assistant editor. Meredith just got promoted because she's awesome. What, what? And she also covers deals for us, so she's important for us to have here today. And Lilith Marcus, who's now a podcast regular, and she's a contributing digital editor for us and writes a lot for us as well. And then we've got a special guest today, Scott Kyes from scottscheapflights.com and a bunch of other things that Scott's going to tell us about. The topic of the week is flight deals. This is one of our most popular subjects. We try to stay on top of this. Scott is one of the ways that we do that. We try to get deals out to people as soon as we can find them, sometimes at least once a day, sometimes multiple times a day, to all places all over the world. But we try to focus on places we know people are interested in. So, Scott, why don't we start with you? Because you are the expert in the room, or not in the room. Scott's here by <laughs> Skype. So if there are any little audio, you know, if there's any audio jankiness, that's why. But, Scott, why don't you tell us about your site and how you came to do what you do? Sure, and thank you so much for having me on. The way Scotch Cheap Flights works is I created a email list originally for my friends. And the reason why I created it was because I, this is about three years ago, found a flight deal that was $130 round trip from New York City to Milan. Jumped on, I had no interest in going to Milan. It was not even on my radar. And then I saw this deal. I was like, yes, I will go to Milan for 130 bucks. And just to give people a sense of scale, what is the usual price for New York to Milan? Whew, this was around Christmas time for a direct flight from New York to Milan. Typically around Christmas time, I would guess 900, 1,000 bucks. Yeah, um, you're going to be paying, you know, at least six, seven, eight times what I ended up paying. You know, I had this great trip came back and then all these all my friends were like hey Scott can you let me know next time you find a deal like that it's like you know rather than trying to remember oh I need to tell George I need to tell Travis I need to tell Larry and I was like okay let me just create a little email list so like anytime I find one of these deals I can just let my friends know and so fast forward you know I'm doing that for about two years it's going great and then all of a sudden uh there's this article published in Business Insider, you know, one of these very kind of made for viral headlines of, oh, man takes a trip around the world, you know, 25 countries, all doing it all for free. And then all of a sudden, the next day, I have 5,000 subscribers on the list. And so it's like, you know, how are a, people coming I'm, to you? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. How are people coming to you? So they came to me because from this article, they found out, okay, you know, Scott has written a couple books on travel, on frequent flyer miles, on how to find cheap flights, stuff in, in that sphere. And then they, uh, when they would go there and say, oh, okay, Scott has this little email list that, you know, I can sign up for and get alerted. You know, again, this is originally just something that I did very informally for my friends. But then once it got to, you know, overnight went from a few hundred people to 5,000 I had to figure out some way to handle this because all of a sudden I had to, you know, be paying money like server fees yeah, yeah. in order to send out these emails. And so little by little, I just started to turn it into a more legitimate business. And so nowadays, Scott's Cheap Flights has grown to over 100,000 subscribers. People sign up and they say, you know, I want deals from the Northeast region. Or I, you know, I live out in San Francisco. I want deals from the West Coast. And whenever I find a really good deal then I send it out to those folks. So for instance, either yesterday or the day before I found a deal 
from six or seven different cities around the country, San Francisco, L.A., New York, et cetera, down to Panama for $193 round trip. Sent this deal out you know, to all the folks who had subscribed for it, and then they, you know, about six or seven people were able to end up getting this really, really cheap flight down to Panama, something that usually costs 450 500 bucks, got for just 193 So the purpose of the email is essentially just to tip people off, you know, when there's this really good deal out. There's some people, you know, who say like, okay, I really want a deal to Paris. You know, I'm traveling from November 12th to 19th. What can you find? There's not a whole lot you can do to find a cheap flight when you have all those parameters. But for the folks who say, you know, look, I'm interested in taking a trip somewhere, maybe this winter, you know, maybe next spring, maybe even this fall. What are my options and how can I do it for really cheap? Those are the folks that I'm really able to help out who don't necessarily have firm dates in mind and who are open to different ideas. Then I can pitch them, you know, hey, here's round trip flights to London for 300 bucks. Here's like flights to Japan for 480 that I sent out earlier today, et cetera, et cetera. So without revealing any trade secrets or any proprietary secrets, <laughs> what are the steps that you go through to stay on top of all those deals? Mm. I have an unhealthy obsession with searching for cheap flights. It is the majority of my day is spent, you know, on Google flights, on kayak, on Skyscanner, you name it, just typing in various airport combination codes, trying to figure out, you know, hey, is anything interesting popped up here? Monitoring a lot of message boards. You know, there's these whole big online communities of folks who are trying to trade you know, A, I found something, you know, leaving Dallas. Has anybody else been able to find something on this? And then trying to take that information and glean what other options there are from it. So, like, let's say that somebody on one of these message boards found a deal from Dallas to Tokyo. You know, that's great. And then I'll see, A, can I replicate that? And B, are there other cities available that maybe this person didn't find? So like, did they find Houston to Tokyo? Were they able to find San Antonio to Tokyo, you know, Denver, LA, keep on expanding like that. And also on the destination side, you know, did they search Dallas to Osaka? Did they search Dallas to Okinawa, you know, Dallas to Sapporo on down the line and then kind of see like what the parameters of the full deal are rather than just focusing on this narrow Dallas to Tokyo route. It's an unhealthy obsession with finding cheap flights and one that I'm sure my fiance gets a bit annoyed at me for spending so much time on <laughs> on the computer just trying to find the cheapest flights possible. But, you know, we all get our kicks from different things and this is mine. Well, one thing that I'm really curious about is what were you doing before this was your primary gig? Mm. So finding cheap flights and kind of navigating the frequent flyer mile world has been a side hustle of mine for about three or four years. For years before that, I was working as a journalist, actually. I was working in Washington, D.C. for a number of years as a journalist. And then when I was living, uh, I moved down to Mexico. I was working as a journalist down there for a bit. And then up in Colorado, where I live now. Were you into sort of the travel journalism? A little bit, mostly writing about news, current events, politics. And then especially out in Colorado, I was doing a lot of pop journalism, um, right. covering sort of the <laughs> business and politics and ethics and, and sort of all those different aspects of the world of marijuana journalism in Colorado, just since it's such a new thing out here. There's a lot of like navigating of that world. But for this whole time that I was working as a journalist, I was always 
searching for cheap flights on my own, sending them out to this list that I had created for my friends, writing little ebooks and explainers for folks on how to generate frequent flyer miles, you know, how to use them, how to get the best value from them. And then even little tutorials on like how to actually find cheap flights, you know, let's how to approach searching. I don't want to over aggrandize it, but like almost in a philosophical way, uh, you know, so I mentioned this, this deal, like, like this proposal from Dallas over to Tokyo. That's what I usually try to recommend folks to think about how to search for flights. You know, when they're, you're, say you're searching for flights to Paris, you live in, let's say, uh, let's say you live in DC and you want a cheap flight to Paris. Now tell folks, yes, the first thing you should do is be searching for that flight from Paris to London, see what that price is. But don't make that the last step, you know, make sure then after that you're searching, uh, or I'm sorry, DC to Paris, make sure after that you're searching from Philadelphia to Paris, make sure you're searching New York to Paris, search, you know, Charlotte to Paris, see what other prices there are. And then start searching, you know, DC to London, DC to Brussels, DC to Amsterdam, because oftentimes that DC to Paris deal will be, let's say 750 bucks, but you can find a flight from DC to Brussels for 450 you know, I don't know about you guys, it's worth my time to save 300 bucks to then, you know, be able to see Brussels and just catch a quick train down to Paris, spend the rest of my time down there. But you know, that's absolutely worth 300 bucks. But if you're bucks. writing books and you're giving away all of your best intel, aren't you worried about putting yourself out of business? <sighs> that's a good question. I haven't put myself out of business thus far. I hope I don't prompt people to go all read my trade secrets and then decide they don't need the email list anymore. <laughs> but you know, I figure people, I figure for the most part, people are willing to pay for a convenience. They're willing to pay me to be obsessive about searching for cheap flights and then let them know when these deals happen. I mean, the deals that I'm sending out are not proprietary. It's, it's all public information that's out there, but there's so many options of places you can fly to you know, different dates that you can go to, ways to combine it, different places to be searching for those deals, that it's a bit overwhelming for folks a lot of times. And I think that's why they're willing to pay me to almost be a curator of sorts to tell them, you know, these are the good deals. And these are the ones that you can kind of not really worry about. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the attitude is kind of, I can cook my own food at home, but I could go to a restaurant, a professional would do a way better job. Absolutely. You know, and that's why I tell folks, you know, if you have very specific dates in mind and a very specific location, you can, you know, think, cross your fingers and gamble, hope that something that I send out will fit those parameters. Chances are it might not, you know, I might not be able to find a deal that will fit those very specific parameters. But if you're just, you know, really want a cool vacation to Europe, don't have locked in dates or a little bit flexible on that, then I'm able to find you something and you're able to get it cheap. And that's how I first experienced flight deals through you was I got an email about a super cheap flight out of Orlando to Chile and I had a friend down there and I had no intention of visiting her and then just all of a sudden was like, this flight deal is too good. I have no idea what to do in Chile. I'm going to go. I'm going to find a flight, cheap flight from New York to Orlando. I'm going to then fly from Orlando to Chile. And it was a total whim. And I ran around the office asking everyone, should I do this? Should I do this? <laughs> That's true. She um, did. I, I literally ran. Um, and then I booked it. And it was it was one of those things where I had no plans to go to Chile. I had no dates in mind. 
and I just saw the deal and was like, why the hell not? Yeah, yeah, and that that's kind of the philosophy that I think that, that the exact same thing for me from that you know one hundred thirty dollar flight from New York to Milan. I had no intention of going to Milan before that. I didn't even live in New York. I was living in D.C. and decided, yes, at at that price, I will absolutely you know catch a bus up to New York and go fly over to Milan for one hundred thirty bucks. And that's kind of the philosophy I try to instill in people, you know, not everybody can be super flexible with their dates, but you know, if you're, if your top priority is finding a cheap flight, then there's a lot of different ways that you can flex it to make it happen. How often do you book your own flight deals? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> I'm really tempted a lot of times. Get high on uh, your own supply. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, wow, man, I was so mad. I sent out one the other day. Oh, gosh, about a week ago to Serbia. That was, I think, $300 round trip from New York to Serbia. Might have even been a little bit less, if I recall. And we were we were sitting there searching, you know, and, and I, I sent out the email first because I wanted to let everybody know. And then I'm sitting here searching for dates with my fiance, like, oh, when should we fly over? And I told people in the email, you know, don't delay, book it quick because this is a mistake fare. It's probably going to go away pretty quickly. Hence, you know, why I want to alert people early. Of course, at the end of the day, we took a little bit too long. And by the time we were actually ready to finally book, it just disappeared. Oh. You needed to listen to my own advice, but, you know, so can't now, win them all. You said something in that that I, I want to back it out a little bit. You said mistake fair. And I guess, can you maybe walk us through some of the reasons why deals happen? Because there are different yeah. kinds of deals, right? Right. So let's generalize these into two broad categories. One are... are mistake fares and one are like non-mistake fares, regular fares. The regular fares are ones that the airlines intend to sell at that price. So they can be really good deals sometimes. There's a, you know any number of reasons why an airline offers a really good deal. United right now is offering $450 round trip flights to Frankfurt, for instance, and, and other places in Germany. They're intending to sell it at those prices for any number of different reasons, you know, either they don't have enough seats on those flights sold or they're just, you know, really trying to drum up more business to Germany in order to beat back competition from American or Delta on down the line. Those are regular fares. The difference then is what you have is mistake fare when an airline is selling a ticket at a price that they do not intend to sell it at. So that $130 flight from New York to Milan, there is no way that they intended to sell that to seat for 130 bucks. So what um, happened? Somebody fat fingered a keyboard? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, like somebody fell asleep and made a typo? <laughs> Sometimes it's a fat finger discount. You know, they maybe they meant to sell it for 1300 bucks uh -huh. and accidentally sold it for 130. Sometimes it's a currency conversion error. So there was this, oh gosh, a year or two ago, there were like these cheap flights to Myanmar for uh, in first class that went for like 450 bucks round trip. 450 bucks what? in first class to Myanmar. Yeah, it's crazy. And the reason why was Myanmar had basically devalued their monetary currency overnight. But the way that airlines sold their tickets is they do a seven day rolling average of a currency, you know, so to try to prevent those like day to day fluctuations. So what happened was overnight, all of a sudden, if you bought it in Myanmar currency, it would be like 450 bucks rather than, you know, 
thousand or whatever it should normally cost. So sometimes there's those currency conversion uh, errors. Sometimes it's just the difficulty of the airlines talking to one another. And what I mean by that is if you log on to united.com right now, you can buy flights not only on United, you can buy flights on uh, Lufthansa, you can buy flights on ANA, on Asiana, like all these different partner airlines. So they can sell each other's tickets. So what happens every once in a while is that there's an, basically an error in communication where one airline is selling another airline's tickets at a price that they didn't intend to, hence you know where these mistake fares pop up. And what of a lot of it results uh, from is just airlines having really bad IT. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about this. Like a few 70s. weeks ago, we had um, Barbara was on the podcast because there was the big Delta outage, right? Right. It sounds right. to me like it's, these things are connected, right? Like the, the, in, exactly the technology right. is so bad. That That's they, exactly right. I mean, it originated in the 1970s, and then they've built new layers of technology on top of that original mainframe, which – at this point, you know, it'd be such a massive overhaul to just be like to scrap everything and just start anew on their tech, which is why they don't. But it's also this, you know, giddy house of cards that every once in a while will topple over and either and, you know, if it's bad, it'll result in Delta not being able to fly their planes for a day. If it's good, it'll result in people getting 130 bucks, you know, round trip flights to Europe. So what happens if there's one of those mistake fares? Maybe it's that one airline sold another airline's ticket for the wrong price. What happens on the business end? Like, I always wonder, mm. does one of the airlines like try to ask the other one to recoup the money that they mm -hmm. lost? What happens after that? So let me back up a little bit and, and explain some of the sort of public policy angle around it. Um, for years, up until I believe last year, the Department of Transportation, you know, the federal uh, agency actually required, essentially required airlines to honor mistake fares. So, if, you know, they accidentally sell it at a certain price. If you bought, you know, if publicly available, if you didn't manipulate anything, you bought it at that price, they have to honor it at that price. Otherwise, they're going to face big fines. And so, you know, rather than face these big fines, okay, you know, we'll just eat the cost of letting these people go to Myanmar for, for 450 bucks. The Department of Transportation recently changed the rules just a little bit. And so now it's less of a requirement that they have to honor it. But what they do is it, they say if, you know, if it was bought and sold in good faith, but it was clearly a mistake fare, they're not necessarily required to honor it. But they have to make a good faith effort to let the passenger know immediately to reimburse them for any non-refundable expenses they might have incurred, you know, hotel bookings or tours or anything like that. That's just from a legal perspective. It's still the case that probably with 90 to 95 percent of mistake fares, the airlines are still going to honor them because the cost of the bad press that they would generate from canceling people's tickets would outweigh the actual monetary loss from selling, you know, these cheap the, the number of people that got these cheap tickets in the first place. How it actually works between airlines when, you know, one airline this is actually what happened with my uh, flight to Milan was this small little Norwegian airline was selling United tickets for 130 bucks. It was really hinky. I had to like go on this Norwegian site, like try to translate it to English, like uh, doing currency conversion between Norwegian Krona and, or, or sorry, Danish Krona and, you, you know, US dollars. It was really odd, but 
not only did United honor it, there was talk of litigation between these two airlines, between United and Wittero, the Norwegian one that sold the flight. I actually don't know what ultimately ended up happening in that. I suspect it ended up being resolved, you know, behind closed doors and secret arbitration that it was not, to my knowledge, aired out in public. Because, you know, again, these are airlines are partners, and so they don't want to necessarily air their dirty laundry. But, man, I would love to be a fly on the wall and find out, you know, who what heads ended up rolling for that. What blows my mind is I have sometimes seen flight deals become like news stories, not just in the sense that we want to promote it and tell our readers about it. But mm. um, so the Jewish Daily Forward did a story a couple of years ago about a mistake fare to Israel between the U.S. and Israel, because that's such mm. a popular route. A lot of people have family in both places, sure. especially around the holidays. And this mistake fair was such a big deal that it was on the cover of the Jewish Daily Forward. And everybody that I know was trying to get this deal. And of course, it sold out in like 10 (laughs) minutes. And by the time the story came out, it was pretty much over because someone had given the airline a heads up. But it blew my mind to see a flight deal that could make such a significant impact that it was news. Yeah. You know, and and you'll see a lot of these mistake fares pop up at inconvenient times for the airlines. So. About a year and a half ago, there was a really great mistake for, I think it was like 300 bucks round trip to India or parts of the Middle East that popped up on Christmas Day. So, of course, you know, a ton of people weren't working on that day. Like it just there wasn't the manpower to fix this mistake fare. So, you know, it ended up lasting way longer than I would expect. Oh, and the, the, yeah. the one tiny anecdote, too, um, on this newspaper, there used to be an airline, Independence Air, that would purposefully put out mistake fares. Uh, you know, obviously it wasn't a genuine mistake fare because they intended to sell it at that price, but you know, it was like, I don't know, 20 bucks from like New York to LA or something, something crazy. They put it out and then they would literally call the Washington Post and tell them, there's this great mistake fare on flyeye.com. You never know what sorts of great prices are going to pop up there. So sometimes they'll try to manipulate it a little bit. That's to like get when good there was a Radiohead secret show and like seven different publicists emailed us to see if we could cover yeah. it. <laughs> like we know, guys, it's not a secret your, anymore. Your lips sealed. <laughs> Which is a very clever thing to do. They'd make like 20 tickets available at that price and then everybody else is calling in and they, they upsell them to a regular price, right? That's the game. <laughs> or they get the name of their small airline out there yeah. if people haven't heard of yeah, them before yeah. they get on everybody's radar. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, Absolutely. Because the thing that lies behind this is a mistake fare lasts until somebody finds it, right? And shuts it down. It depends. Yeah. I mean, the airlines have people who kind of keep an eye on these message boards, keep an eye on blogs. I, you know, they honestly, they might have somebody on Scott's cheap flights. I have no idea. You know, I can't, I, it's hard to root out like somebody from a hundred thousand different people. The- exactly. <laughs> <United. laughs> <United. laughs> so a lot Surely of times they, they, <laughs> they know about these things, but you know, these are big, like, like freighters that it takes a while to move the direction mm-hmm. of it. You know, it, like they can't just stop selling tickets in an instant, you know, like they're not just going to like shut down all sales. So they're, they're trying to move the big oil tanker and and it kind of takes it. Sometimes it can take a little while, especially with these really old, you know, IT platforms that they're working on. They can't just unplug the Windows PC. From the <laughs> you know, if I, if I were in charge of what I would delete. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm really interested in though, is the economics of a lot of the 
flight deals that we've been seeing lately are from low-cost carriers like Wow Air in Iceland who deliberately keep their fares really low. That's something that they want. Like even their, you know, go online, buy a full price ticket sometimes can be $100 between the U.S. Mm. and Iceland. How are they able to operate at that scale? Because the planes are nice. They do have amenities. It doesn't feel like you're flying, you know, a falling apart bus in the sky. How do they stay Mm -hmm. alive? So you're absolutely right. There have been a number of new budget airlines that traditionally budget airlines mostly flew uh, regionally. So, you know, there are a ton within Europe. There are a couple like in the U.S. and whatnot, but very rare did they fly transatlantic or transpacific. That's changed in the last couple of years. We've seen, you know, Wow Airline, you mentioned uh, Norwegian is a big one nowadays, a couple others. And so what they do is they offer these really low base fares, then, you know, offer a lot of like they decouple, you know, with the bag fees, the seat selection fees to get, you know, food and drinks and whatnot. And so part of it is a sort of de-aggregation of, of fees that, you know, you're, you're going to end up like kind of nickel and diming a little bit. I think it's a good thing personally, because I think you still come out ahead for a lot of them. One of the ways though, that to answer your question that they ultimately offer cheaper fares is that they, you know, it's almost like when you have a new startup going against the old, you know, the old blue chip Titans, they don't have the sort of historical costs that United or American might have of this old, you know, mainframe, this old technology that they have to maintain and trying to build upon, you know, these old planes, these old contracts, you know, with pilots and airline attendants and everything. And so they, because they're starting up fresh, they can kind of be a little bit more optimized uh, nowadays. So they have new planes that require less maintenance costs. They have new, you know, IT platforms that require less maintenance costs. They, you know, charge a lot, like we said, for bag fees and for these other things where they're recouping a lot of money. But they don't have a lot of these sort of historical money sucks that some of the legacy airlines do. And frankly, there are still plenty of airlines that even at a full price fare will make you pay to check a bag. I mean, that's not something that only budget airlines do. Yeah, for sure. Domestically. That's true. It's less common for international flights. You're starting to creep in a little bit for, you know, flights to Mexico, flights to parts of the Caribbean. But it's still most of the time, you know, if you fly American to Europe, you fly them to Asia, you know, United, you're not going to – you still get free bags on those flights. But you're like you're right. It's starting to creep in that you're going to have to be paying for those. And I think that's the way the industry is going. When you look at the entry of those players, are you seeing that have any impact on the legitimate deals front from the major carriers mm-hmm. that exist? Absolutely. I mean, I think there are two major drivers. Let me let me actually let me let me rewind. I think there's three major drivers of the cheap. We've been seeing a lot of cheap flights lately, to especially to Europe, to a lesser extent to Asia. The first one, like you mentioned is these budget airlines that are putting downward pressure on prices. So, you know, United and American realize that if they want to compete on price with, you know, with Wow, with Iceland Air, with Norwegian, they need to start offering cheaper flights. And so you've seen especially United start offering these real, you know, $400, $500 round trip fares to Europe. Number two, I think that that you're seeing is the low cost of oil. This is actually a a, a hugely complex situation that we probably don't have enough time to really dig our teeth into because airlines have their own contract, oil speculation contracts uh, that lock in the price years ago. But it's still the low price of oil uh, lately has been 
having a downward effect on the prices of flights. And the number three is just the general global economic slowdown that, you know, to a lesser extent in the U.S., but especially in Europe and elsewhere, the economy hasn't been doing as great as it has in years past. And so airlines are starting to have to offer better prices in order to try to fill their planes. You know, it's hard to ever single out, oh, just this is causing or just that's causing it. But between those three factors, I think that's why you're starting to see these prices come down. I think the best example of the competition that the different airlines are putting on each other is there was a flight, I feel like it was to Hong Kong, and it was like four airlines who were just pushing. Yeah, this was It recent, was like a couple right? weeks ago, yeah. and it was mm-hmm. just pushing prices down and down, and then they would go up a few dollars. But you could, like yeah. on Google Flights, you could see every hour like who had rechecked in and been like, oh, well, Lufthansa's yeah. offering it at 543, so we're going to go 535. And like it was... It went on for days yeah. of these crazy well, cheap and, flights. And it's it's crazy. And the two things that I would recommend to folks too is is a lot of folks don't know this, but it's actually a federal regulation that if you buy a ticket directly from an airline, especially, but you are legally entitled to cancel that ticket within twenty four hours of purchase without any fee. Really? So, you know, I buy yeah. If I buy a ticket right now I did not on AmericanAirlines.com. Did you yeah. know that? And I knew some airlines did. I didn't know they all had to. Wow. Because yeah. I, I had it happen a, on JetBlue once, and I got a full refund. They do not communicate that. They make well, you, why no, would no, they? Yeah, they, they make don't you like feel it. like you have to. Because like there are some airlines yeah. where you can even, like, on an online shopping website, you can, like, hold something in your yeah, bag. I have seen that. There are some airlines that will let you do that, like, hold it for 24 hours, but they won't cancel it. It's right. sort of like a, hey, I'm going to call my significant other and see if this time yeah. also works for them kind sure. of thing. Sure, sure. But yeah, yeah. So that that's you're exactly right. That's the way the regulation works. They either have to let you cancel it without any penalty for 24 hours, or let you hold it for 24 hours before you purchase. Okay. And so where this comes into effect then is like the deal to Hong Kong that Meredith mentioned is you buy that flight, you know, for let's say 500 bucks round trip on American, and then you keep searching the next day and you see, oh shit, now United is offering it for 450. I'm going to go cancel my American one and go rebook on United, save myself 50 bucks. So I, you know, definitely keep monitoring it. Even if you've already purchased, you know, if you're an obsessive like me who likes to always get the best uh, price possible, it's really funny though. I mean, to mention these, these sort of competition between airlines, you know, you see it like with this Hong Kong deal, they keep trying to go a little bit lower, you know, playing limbo with one another, but they'll do it sometimes in a pernicious way. So each airline, you know, has their own hubs. So United has a hub in Houston and, you know, American has a hub in Dallas and Delta has a hub in Atlanta. And what they'll do is American will start offering the good deals from Delta's hub and United will start offering the good deals from American's hub to just try to like start poaching each other's passengers and oh, whatnot. Oh, that's hilarious. So, it, and, it, and, you know, they don't even, they're not subtle about it at all. They're really trying to to under like kind of kneecap each other it's really funny to watch this is really interesting to me i'm wondering are there you know i know that it's complicated with airline tickets but i'm wondering if there are any middlemen or aftermarkets like you know the the sort of stub hub or scalpers of airline tickets when you talk about you know the 130 dollar flight to milan from new york there's a lot of margin there for you to buy that and then resell it, even if there's a fee for yeah. you to change whatever you got to change, and still make a nice margin on that. What what goes on in that? Oh man! So I've heard 
rumblings about this as kind of the wave of the future as sort of third party reselling of tickets. I haven't actually seen it on any sort of sustained, you know, professionalized basis. I know it's something that the airlines are starting to look into a little bit that, you know, say you buy a ticket and two weeks later something happens, you know, you're not going to take that flight. You're still entitled to that seat. You know, the airlines know, okay, that he paid 500 bucks. Can we give him $250 back and then resell that seat for another 500 bucks? You know, so all of a sudden it's 750 bucks. It's something that they're starting to look into to let people resell it. I don't know when that's going to happen. And I haven't seen any sort of, like you're mentioning, a, a sort of customer or passenger driven, you know, reselling of each other's tickets. That could be a million dollar business idea. Maybe you should uh, uh, keep that one to yourself rather <laughs> well, than broadcast it out on the airwaves. No, I mean, I think like. It feels a little bit, not exactly, but it feels a little bit like the stock market, right? Like it feels like mm-hmm. when you think about the case that Meredith was just talking about where there are multiple airlines competing, if you could develop software that could monitor that and can sort of arbitrage that at scale, yeah. you know, and this is something you should think about, Scott, where like, you know, like yeah, because it, it strikes me. This is a great me, business ideas. Yeah, like I, I feel like, um, you know, between the bidding and the asking, there's room there for you you to make, you know, $5, $10, $100 a ticket and at scale, you know, over the course of multiple deals throughout a week, you know, you're, you're potentially talking about real money. Somebody save this podcast what? so that when Scott makes a billion dollars from this idea, right. Brad gets right. his cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you just say the words patent pending and that counts? <laughs> right. Pat, patent pending. <laughs> no, well, you know, this actually, it, radio voice, this patent is that pending. You, can, uh, you know, not in any sort of formalized basis that I'm aware of. But if you buy a Southwest flight, Southwest doesn't charge any fees to cancel or change your ticket. So what you can do, what the shrewd traveler is going to do is, you know, they buy their ticket, you know, let's say at 200 bucks, but then they keep monitoring prices. A sale goes up. All of a sudden that ticket is now on sale for 150 bucks. They just click to cancel and rebook that exact same one, 150 bucks. They save themselves $50. Yes. And if you made software that did that automatically... (laughs) Right, like Brad, have you uh, thought about maybe you could start this business? <laughs> so bad at these kind of things. <laughs> have you ever seen a case where airlines go in, particularly on these mistake fares, and buy up inventory in order to preserve the price? Mm. So I not per se, like not that they are buying the inventory themselves because you know they already hold the rights to the seats. They could just like what they're really going to do is just try to pull that price that they're offering off the market. But a lot of times what they'll do in the rare instances, for instance, that they cancel a mistake fare, a lot of times they'll offer compensation to the folks, you know, say they bought, you know, this $130 flight to Milan, say, oh, we didn't intend to sell it at that price. We meant to sell it at $1,300. We'll give it to you for, you know, $550 or $600 or, or so. But usually when there is, like you mentioned, a mistake fare on the market, I mean, I, I can just imagine the like emergency sirens going off at United headquarters, you know, and they're just trying to figure out how can we get this off the market rather than, you know, trying to actually buy it up themselves or something. You know, they already hold the rights to the seats. Yeah, I mean, I remember once I bought a JetBlue ticket and about three or four days later, that exact flight went on sale. So I contacted them and they actually did refund me the difference because it was within a week. 
Mm. That so did yeah. not happen with me because I bought my <laughs> ticket to Milan and two days later, what comes into my inbox but an email from Scott saying that there's this super cheap flight uh, deal to Milan. <laughs> what airline? Very bitter. I don't even remember. Well, but, but the, I mean, it, the idea was that it was, yeah. it's a PR move, right? Yeah, it was Ugh. the same airline, which I think helped. Yeah. Like, I don't yes. think they would have honored it if American Somebody put else, it yeah. on sale. Right. But to it's me, it reminded Walmart. me of like those circulars that you would get where they would say like, if Match. you see it at another Match. store yes, yeah. for less money, bring yeah. this in and we'll refund it to you. But I was impressed that they did honor that because it's one of those things I feel like I have bad luck where if it's a very specific mm. route that I need to fly in a really specific time of year, it may have even been over the holidays. And then three days later, it went on sale. It's it's the situation. It never hurts to ask. You know, like, like I, I mentioned this 24-hour cancellation rule before. You know, I've had it where... I found a, a much better deal 27 hours after booking. And so, you know, I call them, hey, look, I realize I'm three hours late. Like, can I please, you know, they'll make one time exceptions sometimes. But, you know, you got to throw in a little sweet talk. You got to be charming. You got to hope you get somebody who's amenable to it. You got to join the frequent flyer club for all <laughs> the airlines. Yeah, right? it didn't help that it was an I airline I had status I'll on. I'll fly JetBlue next year a bunch, I promise. Yeah. You can see how much money I give you. It's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. From a consumer standpoint, how do you see the deals monitoring ecosystem? I mean, I, I think of things like Hit List, right? Which mm -hmm. is a version of what you do, but it's a very different kind of mm -hmm. version. It's totally mm -hmm. automated. It's similar in the sense that like you're, the idea is that you have sort of destinations in mind. If something yeah. happens, you go for it. But it feels to me like there's a way in which and I, I, this is really non-scientific, but I feel like almost if we like signing up for your newsletter, which is a very handcrafted sort of thing, is almost a better way to go about that because you're more immediately kind of on top of things and you're, you're, you're sort of out there doing proactive research rather than waiting for the mm. data to come to you. But I'm wondering, like, how do you yeah, think I mean, about think, this for your own business? How do you think about, you know, the evolution of what you're doing? Do you think about, you know, do, are you, do you ever think about calling up Airbnb and saying, hey, guys, can we work together and we can put mm. together like a package deal and, you know, mm. send that out to people where you can get a really great, you know, we, as I see a deal coming in in TK place, you know, mm -hmm. TK, like in, in a whatever place that publisher speak um any, anytime you see a deal coming in and we could combine that with you know an awesome apartment that you guys have you know on, right, on the river right. or whatever you know and we can put that together and i can throw that on the email and everybody's happy yeah you know and and, and so areas of expansion like that are things that i'm looking into down the line you know right now it's still a tiny operation i'm i'm the only one you know searching for these deals like again obsessing over google flights trying to find these deals and then emailing them out to folks so you know it's something that would require i think an expansion down the line to be able to offer more holistic services hey if you're going to milan here's you know where you should go here's some good hotel deals stuff like that one of the areas though where i feel like you know you mentioned other deal sites hit list and airfare watchdog is one that a lot of people are familiar with and you know they do Excellent work. I don't want to uh, badmouth them at all because I'm, you know, I'm a fan of theirs. I, I follow their deals and everything. But one of the ways I think that Scott's Cheap Flights differentiates itself is we don't take commission on any deals that we sell. You know, I don't get, I get zero dollars from any airline every time I send out a deal. You know, whether you book it or not. And so as a result, I can. I send these deals out because I truly believe they're a good deal, you know, because I really think that people should know about them, that they, uh, you know, it's going to be a cheap vacation that they'll want, that they might want to take. 
and uh, rather than there being any sort of financial incentive on my own aspect. One of the w things that I think that's leading to this proliferation, though, that you mentioned of deal sites is as the kind of travel industry and especially the flight industry starts to shift away from the old travel agent model to the new sort of, you know, find it all yourself, make your own flight bookings, make your own hotel bookings, et cetera. I think we started to enter a realm of the paradox of choice where because, you know, I could fly anywhere. I don't know where to go and I don't know what those flights should cost. Totally. Um, and, so, and, you know, it, it, like, like I'll get emails from folks, you know, and bless their heart. They'll say, you know, right, Scott, I just found a deal from New York down, uh, you know, over to London and it was 1500 bucks. I bought it. That's a great deal. Right. And I don't have the heart to tell them like, oh, <laughs> oh, it's not things. that good a deal. <laughs> well, done a lot to better. jump on what, to jump on what Scott is saying, too, I think one of the most exciting things for me getting into deals and sort of looking at websites and newsletters like his has been an unexpected destination that I didn't ever think I would go to. And Scott's Milan mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. you know, in my case, I think um, I don't know if I ever would have gone to Finland, but I got a really good deal on Finnair, thought I'd go for it, and I loved it. And I came oh, back man. and was such an evangelist for it and was telling everybody to go. Or look at the way that Iceland Air, in my opinion, single-handedly changed their country's entire tourism economy. They came up with this layover idea in the 70s. People wanted to save money on airfare. At the time, there weren't a lot of budget airlines, so they said, sure, I'll stay in Reykjavik for two days. What the heck? Ended up having a great experience telling other people about it, recommending the stopover program to people. So for me, it's fascinating to see how a flight deal may seem like this one-time impulse purchase, and yet it has such long-term ramifications, and it can really change a destination. I think it's changing the way people travel. I mean, I think as you see, because there are people like Scott and Hitlist and like whatever who are actually surfacing these things to people in a timely way and saving them the work of actually having to go find them, it opens you up to going to that place when you would never have thought of doing it. And I think that people, when you talk about, again, to go back to the example of $130 to Milan from New York, if you've never thought about going to Milan, that's so good. It's like it's like three Uber rides yeah. you know, in New York City <laughs> itself. Yeah, exactly. So if you're in New York and you see I, that... That's like a long weekend or even two days, you know, like it's whatever. two rounds of groceries. It's incredible. You're be fine. It's I mean, my <laughs> weekly seamless budget. It just <laughs> makes the it may, Yeah, exactly. Like it makes the decision to go there, you know, much easier to make. It's so easy to say yes to that, that I think it opens up the world in a way that lots of other things have not been able to do. And I think it, and, uh, it challenges you to consider a place that you might not have thought of oh, otherwise. Totally. I didn't necessarily want to go to Hong Kong. I found a good deal on Cathay. I went, I loved it so much that now I just want to go back. Yeah. And maybe that's the problem is it's like you get the free sample of the expensive beauty product and it's then you so love bad. it. <laughs> yeah. And so then you're bad. like, why am I spending $85 on moisturizer? Like, how did this happen to me? But well, you know what's interesting is a lot of countries and and especially flagship carriers for countries are starting to try to take advantage of that idea. So what a lot of airlines from Turkish Airlines to Qatar Airways and uh, Iceland Air do is when you have a long layover in Reykjavik or Doha or wherever, rather than just hang out in the airport the entire time, they will actually take you on a free tour of the city during that entire time. So you can see, you know, oh, wow, is this a place that I should maybe come back to, you know, go check out next time rather than just passing through. So, Scott, I think what you're doing is great. It's really obviously helpful for us. It's helpful for consumers. So I'm going to go ahead and plug it like you're what? It's forty dollars a year to join your to join your yeah, site to become a member. Different. 
about 39 bucks a year if you want to sign up for a full year, 25 bucks if you just want to sign up for six months, or $15 for three months, 30-day money-back guarantee. There's also a free list if you don't if you just want to get you know a couple deals uh, a week rather than all the deals. You can do the free or you can join in. But what in. about the $5,000 a year I would like to spend buying every single deal that you tell me about? <laughs> That's on you. <laughs> That's the problem. That's why I can't do it. I will Not just buy problem. all of them. <laughs> Not his problem. Somebody else is going to have to start a new email list, how to overcome your flight addiction. <laughs> It's not a fl- it's not a flight addiction though. It's a travel ad- like this is really an amazing. This I think is really a kind of fascinating thing to delve into, and I do think that once we've seen it with our users, we've seen people. I think because of what Lilith is saying, people sort of realizing that they can go places they didn't think about going to because it's cost effective because the price comes down to the point where it's easy to say yes, I'm going to go, and it's getting people to explore you know, places in the world that they wouldn't have ordinarily. Yeah. And it's more, it's more democratic. Absolutely. And, and and one of the things, and this is honestly like one of the original reasons why I created the list was because those incredible prices, you know, that pop up a few times a year, maybe the 130 bucks to Milan, uh, you know, 450 bucks to Myanmar. Those are, mistake fares that are going to go away pretty quickly. And so you, in order to get in on them, you know, it's a matter of finding out about them early before, like you said, everybody else buys the tickets before the airline figures out and takes away the price. And so that's why I wanted to originally try to, you know, create this list and tell my friends really early so they could get them before the deal went away. Because oftentimes, you know, we're talking a matter of hours, you know, it's not something that you can just mull on for a few days like you would normally with a flight. You have to make a decision right then for the you know for these really really cheap prices but like you said at 130 bucks the cost factor almost goes out the window it's just like do i have the time and is milan a place that seems interesting to me yeah i was curious scott of all the deals that you've purchased is there a favorite place that really stands out to you like somewhere that you didn't think you were gonna like but you got a deal and you loved it besides milan oh man can i look at yeah, can I look at my map? So yeah, Scott has map. a map um, behind him in his apartment with oh, yeah. um, with <laughs> countries color coded based on whether he's been there. Yeah, well, what it's one of these fun like scratch off maps. I have one too. Uh, <laughs> I oh, very man. much appreciate yeah. it. It's like always makes coming home feel fun. Like, ooh, I get to scratch off. You know, this is the last. That's place half I've the been. reason I do it. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> um, let me give you two. Uh, one is Lithuania. I did not have a conception of the Baltics before I went, Mm. but, you know, I was doing this big tour of Eastern Europe, just kind of threw in Lithuania on a whim. My fiance uh, insisted that everybody was really attractive there, both men and women, and and that they really loved beer. (laughs) There are worse reasons to choose a a place. There are. There are. I think Brazil has been trading on that for centuries. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe that's so, not a trip you take with your partner, but I admire that you guys did yeah, that. Yeah, really. Everybody gets to enjoy the visual eye candy. And so sure. we went and had a great time. You know, it, like not only was it correct that the beer was amazing and that everybody was super attractive, but that it was just an incredible kind of East meets West European culture where they had, you know, this incredible architecture of Eastern Europe and, these, you know, Eastern European prices. But at the same time, you know, people it, it, like the streets and alleyways were really like 
clean and beautiful and people, you know, regularly spoke English. And, and it's just this, like, we had this amazing, amazing time in Vilnius and, and throughout the country. And I had no, it, Lithuania was the furthest thing from my radar before uh, getting this deal to go out there. The other one that I would mention is Trinidad and Tobago. That is a country that doesn't typically make people's Caribbean lists. It's not known for, you know, these pristine white sand beaches that a lot of the uh, Caribbean islands are for. But I think as a result, it's developed a much, much, much more interesting culture there that's much less tourist focused, much. Um, so it's not only interesting, like homegrown culture, but the food is, oh, it's amazing. You know, this like West Indian, like Caribbean meets meets uh, uh, South Asia type food. It's, man, it's delicious. And we hung out with some people there who just could not stop talking our ear off about how important it was that we come down during Carnival, uh, which I, you know, I think of Carnival in, in, in Rio, obviously, and some other places. I hadn't realized that it's a really big thing in, uh, in Trinidad. And so now it's like on the list, got to make it happen. After going to Carnival in Jamaica, the entire time I was there and having a great time, everyone was like, oh, this isn't you, you haven't been to Trinidad, so you don't really know what oh. Caribbean Carnival is like. So okay. next up on Condé Nast Travelers <laughs> is, is <laughs> Meredith at Carnival. Mer- Mer- Meredith, <laughs> Meredith goes to Carnival in Trinidad. <laughs> With I'm, a deal she I'm gets from Scott's cheap flights. I, am, I will happily <laughs> sign up to that. You okay. guys, you heard it here first. <laughs> All right. That's a great note to, to end on. Ladies and gentlemen, the world is your oyster. You just have to pay attention and you got to go sign up for the, for the email at scottscheapflights.com. And we, of course, are at condenasttraveler.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud. And visit us at cntraveler.com, Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube, CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and the Snapchat Please tweet at us, send feedback, and review us on iTunes so that we can um, get your input. We get ideas for the podcast from people. It's really great. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, thank you. You're, and for doing what you do. <laughs> um, let's go around and tell people Listen, where... thank you guys. This is a blast. Tell, t- let's go around and tell people where they can find you. Meredith. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at oh, hey there, Mayor. Great handle, by the thank way. Thank you. <laughs> um, you can find me at at Lilith Marcus, L-I-L-I-T-M-A-R-C-U-S on Twitter. And I am Lilith Goes on Instagram. Scott, you're at scottscheapflights.com. But what's your, you got a Twitter too that, that tweets stuff out, right? Yeah, I, honestly, my Twitter is pretty barren at this point. Um, find me on Instagram. Instagram is the best place where I post my travel photos and whatnot. My username is Scott M. Kies, K-E-Y-E-S. Okay. And I am at Bradrick. That's it. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, guys.